Hey, and welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast, where we speak with the leading entrepreneurs, organizations, ecosystem builders, and investors designing and enabling new food solutions in Scandinavia. My name is Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Peter Jorgensen, a partner in Maersk Growth, the corporate venture arm of the Maersk Group, where he's been using his 22 plus years of experience in shipping and logistics to work with and invest in startups addressing inefficiencies in existing supply chains, particularly when it comes to fighting food waste. Now, why food waste, you might be wondering? Well, by 2030, the world will need 50% more food Yet one-third of all food is wasted in the transportation process and getting to the consumer. So we're going to talk to Peter about how they're working with startups as well as how they see the future supply chain looking to better support a new food system. So hi, Peter, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you today. Thank you for having me. Cool. Uh, We always like to start by asking a question that's more of a personal background question, which is, when did you first realize or was there a moment that you when you realized that you wanted to start working with food? Well, I think the uh, I've spent the last 22 years within the uh, within the logistics industry. And and I think I'm I'm one of the few remains that have actually spent 22 years with the same company. Um, And Maersk is a big logistics uh, provider also of, of, of food around the world, um, you know that's inspired some. And then when you look at some of the uh, you know, some of the challenges around the, world, the global challenge, if you like, and, and and you can sort of get your inspiration for some of the SDGs. Um, and you look at food, then there's a lot of food in the world, but the food is in the wrong place, and it needs to be transported to the people that need it, and also with our growing populations. So I think it's a quite natural. Um, interest when it comes from from the background I have in working for the company I do. Excellent. Maybe then you can tell us what exactly is Maersk Growth and then what your role is within the organization compared to Maersk as an overall company. Sure. So, I mean, uh, Maersk is a a shipping company and it's a 150-year-old company founded in Denmark many, many years ago. It's 115, isn't it? And we in Maersk Growth are a corporate venture set up. So we were formed in 2017 and, and and I think quite a few corporates are are setting that you know up these units these days. Um, we need to find new ways of working, new ways of cooperating, and then we need to find ways of engaging with the ecosystems that are out there um, in terms of entrepreneurial startups, uh, which is just exploding essentially. And many, many, many interesting solutions uh, really take off in, in, in the startup um, environment. And um, we cannot just sit behind our sort of corporate walls and, and, and think we can come up with all the, all the good ideas. Um, so, so when most growth was established, there was a very clear purpose of investing into early stage companies, help early stage companies with uh, the knowledge and expertise that, that, that we have, which um, is relevant to, to logistics, transportation and other bits and pieces, but also there's just some general expertise and, and insights the corporates have, uh, and they were quite willing uh, to to share. And, and we've also done a fair bit of R&D over the years within certain areas, and, and, and we can certainly use that uh, as some data points and inspiration from, from, from the startups. Um, most growth is organized 
more or less say as a as a as a as a VC. Um, we have partners. I'm one of the partners, um, and uh, my main responsibility has been to look at um, food, food waste, food loss, uh, and certainly the whole supply chain that involves food in particular. Uh, but we do look at at um, sort of broadly. So we're not sort of um, not structured in a way where I only look at that. But that's sort of been my main uh, focus in the last twelve months. Why is it that? Maersk came to, you have kind of three verticals you invest across. So how did you land upon food waste as being one of the most important ones? Because it it doesn't seem as connected compared to next-gen logistics or the inefficiencies or the kind of future supply chain. So how did that happen? Yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, we, we have to admit that when you start something up from, 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 from scratch like us, then you have to go out and brand yourself. You have to go out and get some traction. You have to go out and, and sort of um, you know, tell the world that that you're now in business and you look at these things. So, so one of the ways of doing that is, of course, talking to the ecosystems that are, are, are closely linked to logistics and shipping and transport, but also trying to find some some sort of um, uh, one-liners or, 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 or themes that sort of resonates. And 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 food waste resonates quite well with people in the sense that. Everybody has an opinion on it or a view on it, have heard about it, but but don't necessarily know the, the, the granularity of it. So we decided to use uh, food waste as sort of the common denominator. The reality is that the, um, uh, the, the, the problem is split into food loss and food waste. And waste, you and me not uh, finishing our potatoes or restaurant leftovers or um Food that um, uh, whether sell by date expires and, and and so forth. That's the waste part. The loss part is actually everything that happens from the farm up until the point of retail. And that's really, you know, depending on how you calculate it, and depending on, but on a global basis, about seventy-five percent of the total food waste um, actually happens before the point of the consumer. Um, and this is where we play a role. We have about thirty percent of of, of all perishables that goes into containers we transport around. So we saw ourselves having a very natural um, sort of knowledge base and a right to play in this particular area. And if you look at them saying we want to reduce food waste or food loss as an outcome, then if you bring down the, the food loss, it means that your supply chains have become much more efficient. It means you're doing something right. It means that you're actually helping people getting it transported to, to the end consumers in a way that actually has the right shelf life and, 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 and other bits and pieces. So a little bit in the same way as, as when you are, when you're using CO2, it's, it's good because you become more efficient probably in your operations. If you reduce food loss, it's because you've actually improved a supply chain, which the food supply system today is, is, is fairly, it's fragmented, it's, it's inefficient. Uh, it's got multiple parties of handover points very limited digitization um, and uh, the highest value creation in, in, in the system happens at the retail end, whilst the biggest work and the biggest efforts need to put in at the, at the farm end. Um, and agriculture is the biggest industry in the world. Um, so we saw it as a quite natural thing to get further involved in. Our main sort of involvement so far have been on the, on the ocean side of things, and, and we wanted to integrate further because ultimately we believe that 
if you don't take a sort of a value approach to this and if you don't look at things from sort of end to end, um, you're ultimately going to end up sub-optimizing and you might solve something, the first part of the chain, but you're actually not solving it all the way through. Um, and if we look at it from a waste perspective where, you know, you and I really should finish our potatoes, that's not, that's not the point, but dealing with the waste is actually treating the symptom, symptoms. You, you, you would be much better off if we actually didn't have the waste. We cannot avoid it altogether. And I think we shouldn't be idealistic about it. But one of the things that, that, that we as consumers can contribute in this is that just accept that some of the food is sold out. Accept that you can't get strawberries necessarily all the year round. Um, so there are elements of, of where we certainly can can uh, can help on the on, on the waste side as consumers. Um, and then on the loss side, as I said, it requires a much more structural thing because it's investments. It's not so much behavior necessarily. Um, and then it's a lot about creating data, digitization, and um, and transparency, so that you actually know what's going on uh, in 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 that whole system, and ultimately enable you to make um, data-driven supply chain decision. That's that. There was a bit of a buzzword sentence, but but essentially, through having a much much higher transparency and ability to see what happens and 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 maybe react in real time, you can avoid sending food off to, you know, down one lane, if you like, where you're pretty much sure it's going to end up as waste anyway. Hmm. What are the major trends that you see then amongst startups working in this space? Is it mainly the focus on data digitization and transparency? Or do you see other things emerging that maybe we wouldn't think of when it comes to solving this problem? Because the industry is so big, because it's actually a global industry, um, then in Every corner of the world, you have startups that that, that looks into um, a, a range of aspects. This can be tree harvest in terms of um, aspects that 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 improves your your yield, irrigation, fertilizers, bits and pieces like that. And post harvest in terms of just how you harvest quickly, how you get things cooled down, and so forth. Then you got to the other end where of course, we see a lot of activities within uh, alternative proteins, uh, finding ways of, of, of making use of some of those waste products as well, but also from an environmental perspective and so forth. I think as, as a trend, this is something about becoming, in one end, sort of in, in food tech, it's, it's very much about um, alternative proteins and, and getting um, more efficient use of, of, of in, in, in food processing. And then on the sort of ag tech side of things, which I'll call the other end of it, um, there's certainly a lot about um, yield optimization, um, knowledge sharing, uh, you know, improving, uh, not the least in the, you can say, in the more developing countries where an average farm in Africa uh, produces about 20% only versus a uh, Western farmer. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunities to, to, uh, to, to do there. And yes, then there's also a lot of tracking and digitization and so forth that, that's being looked at. But a lot of it sort of, um, it's not necessarily difficult to create a sensor and then hook it up to the cloud and then, then get some data. The problem with this is you need to digitize from end to end. Um, and some of the bigger challenges there are to use some of these new technologies and then convince the farmer 
to use it in that way as a sort of a starting point in the supply chain to deploy some of these technologies, spend money on it. I mean, this is an industry that is slow margin. They have, you know, they work long hours. Um, if you think about it, then an average farmer has 40, so that's four zero attempts in his lifetime to make a good harvest. There's one every year. That's it. Um, so using new technologies is also a very difficult decision in 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 uh, in, in that way. Um, where we are hoping to sort of to to merge it more sort of in the in in in, in the space that connects ag tech with food tech, um, and 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 that's sort of this as I said this sort of this value chain supply chain approach where we're hoping to bridge those uh, those sides a bit more. Less happening there. And I think for good reasons. I mean, the, the, the challenge and also therefore the opportunities on on both the ag tech and food tech side are, are just quite big. Um, you know, if you just look at the if you look at food food waste as a total, it's it's a, it's a trillion dollar uh, value loss every year. So if you're just attacking you know 10% of 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 the market, if you can call it that way, that's a huge number that you might be able to. To, to capture some value from, right? So it's, it's quite natural uh, and it's very difficult to come up with solutions across multiple interests, multiple features. And at the end of the day, if the, you know, if it, if it doesn't make sense in the first mile from a cost perspective, you will never, never get adoption throughout the supply chain of new technologies because that's where it starts. It's fascinating, and there's obviously a lot of room for impact. I'm curious because you guys talk about that you not only work with startups, you also invest in startups. So what are the kind of programs or offerings that you have when it comes to building a relationship with these companies working within food loss? So fundamentally, and I'll, I'll come back to a little bit of piece of specifics within, within, within food, but fundamentally we invest in exactly the same way as as, as a VC. Uh, we made our first investment in April 18, and we just announced our 13th investment here last week. So we've pretty much done one every month since um, across uh, uh, you know the, the, the various themes. So um, five of the 13 is within our sort of um, uh, food waste space, um, but you know we do we do quite a wide range, and we invest in the companies. We have um, some criteria for how to invest. Um, I don't think it's particular. Um, uh, it's not very different from anyone else. <laughs> We'd like a good business case, but the the uh, but 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 the two fundamentals that are that are different are that first and foremost we need to be able to uh, see have an idea a vision about how the startup can actually fit into our longer term vision in in, in the merge group of, of being an integrated end-to-end um, -end logistics provider globally. And this doesn't mean it has to be something that plugs in place from, from, from day one, but we need to be able to see sort of a connection in, in, in sort of the next three to five years, one way or the other. Uh, so a bit of a strategic fit. Um, next thing is we need to be able to help them. Um, if we can't help them with anything but money, we're not the right investor. And helping them could be that we maybe we have some data we can share, maybe we can introduce them to customers, um, maybe we can do... Um, POCs or other pilots or, or, or anything like that. So we have to be able to contribute something. And I think that, 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 that's quite important because if we can't contribute, it's also difficult probably to see how it fits into our overall strategy. 
and, and and secondly, if it's just money, if it's sort of that 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 capital element that is most important to the startup, there are better investors out there. Um, like people have been doing this for you know 10, 20, 30 years, and 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 they're better partners. So it's it's quite important that it's 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 also for the startup to judge um, and and find out that um, you know we asked them very explicitly, you know, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, most can do for you, and and if we're if we're both coming up with a with a big blank box, um, then we won't invest. Uh, so it's a bit of a two way street as well in in, in that way. Um, when we started the, uh, the, the the food waste domain, we found that we knew a lot about the the ocean side of things. We had a lot of customers that 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 obviously is um, uh, quite big in the food industry, but we had not so much knowledge and insights in, in terms of what was going on on, on either end, so in the early parts of the ag tech and, and the latter parts of the food tech. Um, so we decided to develop a program specifically for, for food waste domain, which we call Food Track by Musk. We've run two two programs so far, um, and, and uh, are considering whether we should run more, whether we should change the formats and so forth. But the two ones we've run so far has been um, we've had uh, a two cohorts, one of ten startups and then one of seven. Um, through an application process, uh, we, we we picked those companies. The structure of the program was that they spent four and a half weeks with us uh, here in Copenhagen. So they basically moved here um, from wherever they came. We have, I think, we've had twelve or thirteen different countries um, over those uh, those two cohorts. Um, and then they spent time here with us. And what that enabled was we ran various modules uh, with external mentors, coaches, and so forth. This could be something about, uh, um, you know, running a business model canvas. It could be pitch. It could be fundraising. So things that ultimately made the, 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 the startups got something out of from a sort of, um, uh, you know, learning educational perspective in, in, in that way. We also ran uh, what we called uh, speed meetings. So we had two full days uh, where we um, teed them up with uh, both internal experts from Musk, but also external experts from the outside world. Um, people have been that either have helped uh, startups or are part of startups, um, and again to give them some sparring, some insight, and and and, and some help. Um, and during the program, what we then also did was that we could actually see this. We could see, see the, the startups, the team. We could get close to them. So it worked a little bit like an extended due diligence. The idea was that we would be investing in uh, in, in, in in one or more from the, from the cohorts. Um, there was no guarantee. There was no promise. It's also why we offered this completely free. Uh, so there was no cost of participating. There was no, um, you know, giving uh, shareholding or anything like that, and we even paid uh, them a accommodation and travel grant because we wanted the startups to be able to, to, you know, to make a decision to come here for for the value, what we can do, and not have them start sort of making a decision between, uh, is it worth giving up 4% for this? If not, what can I do? And so forth. We didn't want to drive those, you know, decisions because we didn't think those were the, those were the important ones. Um, we have since invested in one from the cohorts uh, and may 
uh, are, are made best and maybe one or two uh, more, uh, especially as they also develop down the uh, down sort of uh, maturity in, in that way. So I think from a from a program perspective, we have learned about the industry. We've learned about startups. The startups have all gotten something back. We hope that we've at least not had any uh, people complaining. Um, and we've been invested as well, so it's 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 been quite a, uh, a quite a good program in in, in in that sense in terms of the success. Uh, we're not an accelerator; that's not our business. Our business is to invest. Um, so these programs, uh, we will probably continue to run, but maybe with a different topic, maybe a different format. Uh, ultimately, it's 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 all about engaging with the ecosystems us getting something out of it in terms of potential investments and learning and the startups getting something back in terms of an extended network, some professional sparring, and who knows, maybe an investment as well. It's a definitely a great learning process. And I just want to be very clear that when we talk about investment criteria, is it that you look to acquire the company or become a customer of the company? Or is it both it, when you talk about there needs to be a future relationship? If we try to box it in a little bit, then... What we're looking for are startups that essentially solves a pain or helps something for our customers. So we're not looking for, for startups that solves uh, you know an operational problem in in, in, in Musk uh, as as such. This is this is about customer driven propositions. So how we can you know potentially therefore team up with a startup to do an integrated offering the startup could become a customer of ours or we could become uh, a customer of the startup. Um, Long term, we hope that some of our investments may turn into um, companies that we would outright uh, acquire, but it's not a given strategy. Uh, So our starting point is that we invest exactly as a VC. Um, We hope to get some strategic returns in terms of knowledge and value and, and, and as I said, uh, solutions that hopefully helps our customers. Uh, but there's no uh, upfront given strategy uh, to acquire. Uh, that could be one of the exits. Um, we don't want to um, sort of, you know, run the companies. That's actually quite important. Um, that's not what we do. Um, we... Um, uh, we interact with them through either getting them in front of uh, people and experts from our from our company or through our board seats and so forth. But we don't want to tell the companies what to do. And therefore, we're also not trying to drive them towards being Merck specific or anything like that. That's not going to help us. It's not going to help the startup. It's certainly not going to help the the, uh, the co-investors that, that, that we also have. So um, an acquisition is an opportunity an option, but not given at all. I certainly appreciate that point of view because so much of the issues we're talking about are extremely complex and they do require a longer term investment perspective. So it's great to hear that it's about the relationship and developing things further. I think it's very needed. Uh, You also just mentioned co-investors. Do you often invest with other companies or do you look to just go in on your own at an earlier seed stage? What is the, or are you talking about a fund that you have otherwise? So we we always when I say always you have to appreciate that we've had this for a year right so it's a little bit <laughs> uh, in in our book but, but we have always co-invested with others um, 
and uh, for, for a few reasons. First and foremost, we think that a startup benefits from having um, different types of, of, of investors, not so that you're having a crowd right early on of, 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 of 10 different investors, but maybe a VC and one corporate at a, at a certain stage is not a, is not a, is not a bad idea. Um, we also, as I said, we're new at this. Um, so there are elements of where we just, we, we need to learn as well. And, and, and being part with co-investors, um, we think that makes sense. Um, and it is always nice to to also have somebody else validate the uh, you know the business um, in, uh, in that way. They, they, our co-investors probably look towards us as well and says the same. But it's 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 always good in that way. Um, so we've not yet caught a check as the um, only investor. Um, and since we invest in seed and and Series A, that's sort of our space. Then typically there you do have more investors anyway. Um, uh, one way or the other, uh, past angels and, and friends, fools and families and, and, and so forth. And since you're dealing with such an international playing field, does that mean that you mainly look for international investors to co-invest with you? Because that's a challenge for many people is getting access even to the network of investors outside of the Nordics. So I'm just curious if it's the relationship you have with investors here or you even look beyond that and have a much more global perspective. So this is kind of a little bit predetermined quite often by the, the investors in general. So a lot of investors will have a geographical focus of source. And, and the reason for that is that they need to be quite engaged in the ecosystems, right? As, as, as we do, you can't cover the world. Um, so from a pure practical perspective, even if you look at, at, at board seats and so forth, you will often see investors having a, 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 a regional focus in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in that way. Um, we do have some co-investors in our portfolio who we see are more sort of uh, going a little bit broader geographically, but quite often um, our investments in, in, in the U.S., for instance, the co-investors there are U.S.-based investors uh, who also have portfolios that tend to be U.S. Uh, companies in, in, uh, in, in that way. So um, we do engage with, with, with investors in Europe and North America, that's our current focus in terms of, of, of ecosystems. Um, and there that it, it's, we do need to engage with European investors. We can't drag U.S. investors across the pond, and, and it's also difficult to do it the other way around. Um, so it, it, it depends a little bit upon the, uh, the, uh, the, the investor types, but the majority of them will have a, a geographical sort of um, – uh, restriction that they put on themselves, right? To be able to actually, you know, they do have funds they need to invest and 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 investments they need to uh, to manage, um, which may be difficult if you are too geographically dispersed. What exactly is the um, not only the selection process, but also how does a company pitch you? How should they approach you? What is it you look for? You mentioned that the criteria is also the same as with most companies, but it, if there is a particular growth they need to reach or some other perspective. I'm, I'd love to hear more about that too. So, um, so we run the programs. I mean, then, then we, you know, we have a, a, a you know, program essentially we have an application process and, and, um, and that, that goes fairly formal in terms of, you know, you fill in various details, pitch decks and so forth and, and, and videos or, or whatever it is. 
But that's not our primary deal flow. The primary deal flow we get comes in from startups reaching out to us themselves, or it comes from from uh, from ecosystem partners, other investors, uh, or um, or from our existing portfolio companies who have in their networks um, sort of uh, takes up interest and 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 from from having worked with us in in our. Um, we essentially completely open <laughs> for business. We have a website. Anyone can reach out. Uh, we look at everything we get in. Um, if you are pitching cat food to us, we'll probably say pretty quickly it's not for us. Um, but 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 we also don't have an interest in 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 sort of you know cutting it too fine in terms of of, of, of the scope. So anything that has a a sort of trade logistical transportation element, I mean, then then people can uh, can, can can certainly reach out. So the process is that we uh, we have a look at deck. We will quite often have an, an, an just a quick phone interview, uh, and if we find that of being uh, sufficient interest, uh, we will uh, typically invite the, the startup to do a, a, a preferably a, a pitch in person because it's just a little bit easier to 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 get certain discussions going in in, in that way, and then we meet the team face to face. But if not possible, which it might always be, then, then at least a uh, sort of video conference pitch in, 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 in that. So we have set ourselves up with a reasonable amount. So we're about 20, we're 21 people uh, with a reasonably sized investment team in order to be able to deal with as much um, and as many uh, inbounds as possible. Uh, that's the way we learn. Um, and, and it's also the way that... Um, Startups will learn getting the opportunity to uh, to pitch or, or, or at least just get some feedback on uh, on your investor deck in, uh, in in that way. So it's 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 easy. Emails, phones, everything is actually out on the uh, out on the web in uh, that way. We don't have uh, secret phone numbers or anything like that. <laughs> is there an estimated timeline of or a range of how long it normally takes from beginning dialogue to closing of investment with you guys? Quite often, these processes, you know, you, you, will, you will probably get the same response from, from, from most investors that this is a three to six months process from the first time you meet someone and they're raising capital and so forth. And at the same time, you will also get from investors that this can be done much, much quicker if this is something that's really, really interesting. Um, so it's, it's not a long process necessarily, uh, but ideally you like to get you know, some, some, some market analysis done and, and, and some other bits and pieces. So we've done something that's, you know, we can do things in, in, in a matter of a few weeks and it can also take, as I said, these three, four, five months, depending on, uh, also depending on the rush from the startup side, right? I mean, you want to raise funding. You don't want to spend too much time out, out, out fundraising, but at the same time, you know, it helps your evaluation if you get more people interested. So, uh, so that's also a balance from the startup side, not necessarily, to, you know, to jump on uh, on the first available money in, uh, in 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 that way. But it's certainly not. I think we we are as agile as as, as a VC. Um, that's for sure. There's not been any. Um, uh, we've either lost or, or, or got any planes on uh, on timelines that we have uh, delivered on in the thirteen investments we've done so far. And to pull this out into a greater perspective of the ecosystem, what would you like the food loss ecosystem to look like in 10 to 15 years in order to support 
the companies that you're seeing coming up with great new ideas that should be implemented, but maybe what they need to really scale and succeed doesn't quite exist yet from a systemic point of view? I'm obviously slightly biased in this in terms of what my, my role is, but I don't have a, um, you know, I don't have a mission of, of reforming the food system. I don't have a, 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 a mission of creating high financial returns to some uh, LPs and investors I have. You know, we have a mission here of, of supporting our, our business. And ultimately, from a, from a sustainability perspective, we'd like to contribute to food loss being reduced uh, in the world as, as, as a company. And in what we can do to help with this is to have more effective transport solutions, and uh, move things uh, to where it's, it's, it's needed and help nations trade uh, that today might not be able to export their produce because the, uh, either the quality is not good enough or the, or the handling is, 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 is not good enough or whatever it would be. So ultimately, I don't think you can achieve this without a digitization of the food system. So to me, then, is what's going to be ultimately the enabler for making the whole thing work, work much better. So, for instance, it's great that you have a, um, a solution that drives higher yield from production. But if you're just producing 10% more in a location where you already have enough food to go around, it doesn't really help anyone. But if you have a way of very quickly saying, oh, we're going to end up forecasting, we're going to produce 10% more than we actually need. And then you can easily hook that into a supply system that takes care of it, transports it to a different buyer than what you had contemplated and maybe 3,000 kilometers away. Then you will really start making an impact on reducing the waste and, 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 and the loss. But it requires that you have a transparency which does not exist today. And this is a combination of, you know, hard work out on the front lines, uh, get more value, um, fair value to, to some of the farmers. So they have, you know, they need to get more of the value pie, if you like, but they need to pay for more solutions. Um, it's IoT, it's feedback loops from the uh, from retail and, and so forth. Um, and it may be, Supporting legislation uh, in in to 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 some degree, um, but ultimately we don't really I don't really subscribe to legislation solving it. Uh, you know, like having to donate food or, or anything like that. Ultimately, um, rather than getting uh, getting a system up and running that that donates a lot of food from supermarkets, for instance. It would be much better if there was very, very little food left to donate. Um, and that requires a lot of things. But as I said, digitizing the whole food system um, is something which is ultimately, I believe, the, the enabler for also getting the biggest bang for the buck on some of those solutions that are already being worked on out there. Um, but there's a lot of improvements you can do on each step of the chain on, on, on the way towards this. But, but, but ultimately, um, it, it cannot be solved, or maybe solving it entirely is, is a bit of big, too big ambition. But but it cannot be 
at risk if we don't get a higher, much, much higher degree in penetration of digitization into this. Can you give an example of what a digitized food system might look like? Let me give an example, actually, that pertains to. So, so in, in Denmark, uh, around Christmas, everybody eats red cabbage. It's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a thing. We, it's, it's that time of year, and um, uh, it's sort of December. That's the month, and people go amok, and then you eat very little of it the rest of the year. So a couple of years ago, a farmer... Uh, producing uh, red cabbage heads. Um, you do an offtake agreement with your supermarkets, right? You promise to deliver X thousands of, of cabbage heads, and uh, or, or it could be anything there, but you should use the red cabbage as an example. And farming is unpredictable. And ultimately, this farmer ended up with having 150,000 cabbage heads surplus. He cannot sell that in the open market because basically, that will drive down the price. And then the supermarkets that have agreed to offtake the, the bulk of his um, uh, his produce will, will ask for a lower price. So, you know, he will, it will just be a, um, a zero-sum for him. Um, he tried to donate it. So there was a couple of zoos that, that well, they can, you know, monkeys or whatever it was uh, of animals can eat a little bit of his carriage. They asked him to deliver it. He said, I can't pay for that. They said, well, you know, we can't really pay for taking it either because we already got food <laughs> supplied for our animals, you know, in, in, in advance, years in advance. Um, you can't dig it down as fertilizer. It's not super good as fertilizer and, and the manpower needed for that. So ultimately, he put them on fire. Bang. That was the only way to get rid of it. Now, what does a digitized system do? It does the following. One you have a much, much clearer prediction. He knows well in advance that he will have X thousands of this up and running. He has a marketplace that he can hook this into. This marketplace will have buyers in other markets that, you know, selling them there is not a problem. Um, it's not going to affect the local Danish market prices in, in that way. Transportation, uh, documentation, export, import documentation, whatever it is, runs automatically as as part of, 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 of this. You may have the blockchain for that matter to sort of have your provenance and, and so forth. So you essentially push a button more or less and then everything gets handled so that, well, what do you know? There is, for whatever reason, a supermarket in Sicily that is quite happy to take 10,000 cabbage heads and a few others here and there and so forth. And the only reason why you can actually therefore shift that is because you've got transportation implemented, integrated, you've got visibility on prediction and overproduction, and you've got a curated marketplace that has pre-identified customers, you know, whether it's through auctions or other bits and pieces. So ultimately, the farmer will get a little bit of extra money for this. It will feed some mouse somewhere or animal feed for that matter or, or whatever's going to be used for and the waste is going to be zero and only a full digitization and transparency will enable this it might be a little bit of a, <laughs> an example that is a dream world if you like um, but in particular for food that you can actually either pack in a vacuum or that you can actually freeze you can really transport them quite far 
in, uh, in, in, in that way. But today, this poor farmer had no other alternatives than to put 150,000 cabbage heads on fire. It's it's incredibly fun to think about what the future supply chain will look like because we hear a lot of different stories and it all looks better. But I'm always astounded by the fact that what exists now in our world doesn't really support new companies and new initiatives, which is why it's great to hear your perspective, too, of how you see things unfolding. So I appreciate that a lot. The last question is, what's next for you guys and how can listeners help and get involved? We're going to keep uh, grinding away. <laughs> and, um, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to make an investment every month <laughs> in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, but we made uh, eight investments uh, in um, in 2018, uh, we expect to make anywhere between 12 and 18 in uh, in uh, in uh, 2019, of which we've done the five so far. Um, maybe seven, and therefore we've done six. A little bit unsure, but anyway, um, that's the sort of the, the number of lessons we expect to do this year, and that's sort of also the cadence we expect that that, that, that the next few years. Um, and uh, we don't have visibility on everything that's going on out there. It's 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 very difficult. We try as much as we can. We try to be as as, as you know out there, both at conferences and, and 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 other bits and pieces. But one of the ways that that we obviously can uh, can uh, can get something out of it is people should just reach out to us. Um, anyone who has any solution idea thought that relates to logistics in any kind of transportation and in particular food food transportation um, we're very happy to listen to um, we don't think we have the answers at all uh, and but we might have a few um, few bits and pieces a few insights that we can uh, share um, and we might also have some um, some value add uh, it may not always turn into investments uh, but we have a couple of uh, couple of pilots running right now uh, with uh, um, with two of our business units and and some startups, which um, came out of, of, of discussions from uh, from uh, from both uh, food track but also just uh, people reaching out to us. We didn't necessarily see it as the uh, a perfect fit from an investment perspective, but. We also partner with startups, um, and uh, and therefore there's also opportunities to uh, to get something going that is not necessarily uh, an investment. Um, we are not exclusive in that way as, as 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 Maersk. We can't run pilots with 200 startups at the same time, but but we're certainly interested in um, in engaging also on a on a sort of a commercial partnership level, if you want to we want to put it that way. Could you give an example, just so we we can finish off with that of an example of a partnership and how someone can engage that's not an investment? So it it it's it's currently running. I I can't review what the what what, what those are that is that is running right now. Um, but it could be, um, let's say, some that's come up with a technology to uh, a packaging technology. Uh, that could then be tested in terms of how that behaves in doing transport and container transportation, um, where we could help with that. Uh, they could get some feedback, uh, and we could see whether this is something that would make sense to um, 
upsell or channel sale or whatever we would like to to our customers, but where we think the scope from a business perspective is perhaps not uh, big enough for us to make an investment, but where it might be a um, a very sensible thing to have as part of your sort of uh, product portfolio to your customers that you, um, uh, you know, <laughs> well, almost a leap on the website, right? I mean, if you want to use this packaging material, then we can click here uh, kind of thing um, in, in, in that way. Fantastic. It sounds like you guys are connecting a lot of great dots and there's a lot of opportunity. And I really appreciate the time you took today to talk. I'm very happy to. Thank you for... Um, for allowing me and, and giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, Mersco. All right, guys, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic food tech ecosystem together. See you next time.